following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good evening, Christian Life Austin. Good evening to all that are watching online tonight on this 27th day of January 2021. What a joy to bring the word to you. I'd like to tell you that I missed the fire out of you Sunday. Patty and I were asked to come down to Lumberton, Texas and speak for one of the associate pastors that worked here for almost nine years and they have built a wonderful, wonderful church down in Lumberton. And what a joy to be with them. And we watched and saw what was happening here and you had such a beautiful day. And I missed my time at Christian Life Austin. But next Wednesday night, we're coming together as a body of believers back in church next Wednesday night. Clap from where you are right now. Next Wednesday night in church Wednesday. And then this Sunday, the 31st, we're having baptism Sunday and pastor will be speaking in that service and we're excited about that. We have many, many people registered to be water baptized on Sunday. So we're looking forward to that. I love you all from the bottom of my heart. I'm gonna to speak to you today on something that is really a, a challenge to my heart and I trust it'll be a challenge to you. It'll strengthen you and help you in life. I'm gonna reach out to you. I'm gonna reach and try to get a hold of your heartstrings tonight and minister to you in a most unique way. A little boy stood at a counter of a burger restaurant with his mom. He had just learned to read and was trying to figure out the menu board. His mother said, what do you want to eat, son? He said, I don't know what I want. I don't want a chicken sandwich. I don't want a cheeseburger and fries, and I don't want grilled cheese. And he grew upset and began to cry. And his mom ordered for him, gave he gave him a burger all the way, she said. She took her son by the hand and led him to the drink machine, got him a fountain drink. Then she made him sit down in a booth and eat the burger and the fries. As he ate the burger, he continued to cry. Finally, he pointed to the menu board above the counter and said, Mom, what I wanted ain't up there. This is a lot of people I know or meet every day. They don't want what is on the board. They want something that's not there. So please let me tell you a story this evening, a story that I will simply call the nameless longing, the nameless longing. My name is not important. You won't find me in your Bible, but you will find my name, of the name of my sister and my husband and my son. My sister is Tappanese queen of Egypt, wife of Pharaoh. She was not only my sister, she was my matchmaker. She introduced me to my husband to be a man named Hadad, meaning the sun. And oh, he shone brightly to me. You'll see the name a number of times in the Bible. One of Ishmael's sons was named Hadad, but mostly it's associated with the country of Edom where Esau lived, the land of Esau, Hadad, Hadar, Ben-Hadad, all denote names of royalty in Edom. My husband was a prince, 
once destined to be a king, but a cruel, ruthless warrior named Joab from Israel came to Edom, David's captain. And this Joab spread desolation and death across the land of Esau. So complete was the devastation that Joab had to use his own men to bury the dead. And it took six months. Very few escaped. My husband-to-be, Hadad, was one of them. And someone saw him cowering in fear, gazing in shock at the carnage, and had mercy on him. And the only prince of Edom survived. They led him here to Egypt. Don't think that's strange. Abraham, Joseph, and Jacob, even your Lord Jesus came to Egypt. None stayed, though, like husk to the prodigal. Egypt feels, but it never satisfies. It was no different with my husband, Hadad. We married in regal majesty, a wedding any girl would die for. We set up housekeeping in the shadow of the palace, Pharaoh's palace, yeah, him. We were so happy, yet I knew something was wrong. No, not wrong, perhaps. Something was missing. My husband was in Egypt, but he was not a part of Egypt. Something had a hold of him, something I couldn't understand, but that was put away when I discovered that I was expecting a child is what we needed. I thought now we would have our own stake in this land and that would help Hadad. My boy was born. That's considered a good omen. And as was our custom, I looked to Hadad to name him. I was already weak from childbirth, but I could have fainted when I heard that my husband called our son Jenubath. That name means cheated. It means robbed. It means someone has stolen from me. By naming our son that, Hadad revealed that deep longing. Something has been taken from me. Something has been stolen from me. I have been cheated in life. Egypt has a way of taking something from all of us. We all know that. My son would be recognized as one of Uncle Pharaoh's own children. He grew up in the palace. He went to the same schools as his cousins. He was a child of Egypt. And Hadad made his connections pay off. He acquired wealth. He acquired position. He acquired power. So great was his influence in his adopted homeland that Egyptians began to think of him as one of them. But I knew different. And Hadad knew different. As the sands blew across the desert, the years in Egypt attempted to cover Hadad's memories. His memories of his family who had been killed in Edom. His memories of his childhood home. And as a son, son said on another day in Egypt, my husband looked eastward with a faraway look in his eye. What was he seeing? What was he looking for? What memory was he pondering? Did he see those majestical rocks, red rocks of Edom soaring into the sky? Was he reliving some precious moment in childhood? My husband was living in one place, but thinking about another. Blessed in Egypt, but dreaming of home. And then the news came. And with the news, our world changed. Solomon now reigned in Israel. His father, David, had gone 
on to his just reward. And Solomon fulfilled one of his father's last requests, make an end of the cruelest son of Zeruiah, Joab, take him out. Joab, the man who killed my husband's family, had been slain. He had been destroyed. And it should have come as no surprise to me what Hadad did next. In hindsight, he had been preparing for this day for a long time, this day when he would act on that nameless longing inside of him. This indefinable restlessness I sensed in him all of our married life. He went to our brother-in-law, Pharaoh, and your Bible says it like this in 1 Kings 11. So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that, Jacob the com- and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to my own country. Then Pharaoh said to him, but what have, I, what have you lacked with me that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? So he answered, nothing but do let me go anyway. At first, Pharaoh could hardly believe his ears. He had nearly forgotten that Hadad wasn't an Egyptian. He was not from there. And to leave the palace, to leave the ease and the riches, to leave all the friends and the ties, to leave Egypt for a bunch of barren rocks, I heard Hadad say, I have lacked for nothing. You have been kind to me, Pharaoh. You adopted me. You made me feel at home. But please, please let me and my family go. My brother-in-law, Pharaoh, was a wise man. He saw in Hadad's eyes something which explained it all, a misery, a wistfulness, an unrequited desire. He was caught in the sway, held captive by a nameless longing. Hadad's story is no different than our own. Each of us have what I call a heart on hold, a heart on hold. There is something about blood. There's something about yesterday. There's something about relationships, something about the whole God has on the hearts of men and women. And it's so hard to hush those voices that speak to us across the years. You can build yourself walls of creature comfort, You may win all the prizes upon which you set your heart. You can place long and crowded years between you and the faraway past. You still cannot escape the memories of a day gone by. And Hadad found all that he sought and more in Egypt, the land of wonders, the beautiful Nile River, the library of Alexandria, the pyramids and the architecture, the rich history and pageantry, but more preserved preserved in his heart than Egyptian money was a memory of home, of home. He was an exile in the land along the Nile. Like some precious object pawned for the moment, his heart was on hold, on hold to what was significant. Hear me tonight, every man, every woman at the sound of my voice, at some point in their lives, filled the urgency of that Nameless longing. It's a yearning not for any particular thing, but for something without which the heart is still poor. Though you possess all the treasures of Egypt, it cannot quiet that longing in your heart. 
The poet Robert Browning was born and raised in a community, community just outside of London, England. And he secretly marries the sickly Elizabeth Barrett and carries her away to Italy, thought to be better for her health. And there they settle in Florence, have a child, and spend 16 years together. And both write their poems in relative obscurity right there in Florence. She dies, and Robert buries her in an English cemetery in Florence, Italy. He lived in beautiful Florence, birthplace of the Renaissance. Yet after Elizabeth's death, he said, Oh, to be in England now, that April is here, I will arise and go home now. There's a hole placed on every heart, and it's not by accident, it's by design. As Cole Porter wrote, my heart belongs to daddy. Another singer in scripture said it like this in Psalms 139, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. David goes on to explain the mystery of the nameless longing. He said, you formed me. You made me. You put something within me that cannot be filled in Egypt. A heart on hold. That's what it is. And the second thing I want to talk about is simply this. A heart longs for its creator. A heart longs for its creator. That is the nameless longing. Our creator put within each of us a desire for him. You know, designers of intricate machinery or computer code do this. They put a fail-safe safe mechanism into their designs where if something goes wrong, the fail-safe kicks in. Call it default setting. Call it whatever you will. But our creator put a fail-safe mechanism within all of our hearts. We all simply long for God. Go ahead and admit it in your home tonight. We long for God. Augustine knew this. In his confessions, he said, you have formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. Intellectual achievements, monetary accumulations, nothing could satisfy him until he turned his heart to God and the nameless longing was satisfied. Sir, ma'am, you that are watching tonight, young person, Older person, married person, single person, those of you, and I don't wish you anything but success in your life. Bright skies, paved roads, great rewards. I wish you comfort. I wish you security. I wish you good money. I wish you no ill will at all tonight. But there is this God-shaped blank in all of us, and it cries out with a nameless longing. It says things like, I am missing something. There has to be more to life than this. Oh, the money's good. The job is great, Pastor. The friends are wonderful, but there is a tug. There is a pull. I ran from it for years. I ignored it, but I'm finding it difficult to ignore. I can't sleep. It's calling to me. 
no apologies, but God made you that way. It's always been a source of confusion. It really has. It seems that man was created twice in the book of Genesis, once in Genesis 1 and once in Genesis 2. Most will say it is only mentioned in Genesis 1, then given a greater detail in Genesis 2. I'm okay with that explanation if you want to live with that, but there's something revealing here. In Genesis 1:27, we read that male and female created he them. Then in Genesis 2, we read of God forming man from the dust of the ground. It's a whole other Hebrew word. It's almost as if God wants us to know that who we are is separate from our bodies. Our bodies is just the house to hold who we really are. Feed all the creature comforts you wish, but the God who made you made you spirit, soul, and body. The soul is the fulcrum on the seesaw of human existence. The spirit exerts influence one way and the body exerts influence the other way. There are two distinct pulls on a man's soul. and One comes from the spirit and the other comes from the flesh. The world caters to your flesh. Everything is carnal or body conscious. But God made you first a spirit being. For he is spirit and he made you spirit. Simply put, there is part of you that will never be satisfied until you surrender your spirit to the creator. Until you bend your knee, until you bow your head, until you cry from the abundance of your heart, God is, God made me, God remake me, God save me. Egypt does not understand such things. It's a foreign language to Egypt. It's a different sound, a different call. William Broyles Jr., 40 years of age, had reached the top of his game. He was senior editor of Newsweek. He grew up in Baytown, Texas. Went to school at Rice, fought in Vietnam, and came home to work for the Houston Independent School District when he was tapped to edit the new magazine called Texas Monthly. So successful that New York came knocking and up through the ranks until he was editor-in-chief at the pinnacle of his career. Almost every door in the world was open to him. He was on the phone daily with the rich, the prestigious, and the influential. But Bill was unhappy. He said that he found his job increasingly empty. And each morning he awakened with the taste of despair in his mouth, thinking there has to be more to life than this. So he quit. He quit that huge, big-time job. He walked away from it all and began climbing mountains. He said he understood more about life on top of a mountain than at the top of New York City high-rise. And from that exit came works such as Brothers in Arms, Apollo 13, and Castaway, and other famous works, all because of an unnamed longing. Or Marcia Edelman, a doctor in Florida, she and her husband relocated to North Carolina. She stopped practicing altogether. She enrolled in a seminary and graduated and became a volunteer at her local church. Why? Why? An unnamed longing. 
an unnamed longing. Egypt just doesn't satisfy. Oh, it does the flesh, but it'll never satisfy the spirit. These stories are no different than that of Hadad. He was in Egypt, but his heart belonged elsewhere. He was an exile. Though he slept in a palace, his heart rested somewhere else. I want to make a statement here. A fetter is still a chain, though it be made of gold. A fetter is still a chain, though it be made of gold. And the heart of man will always be restless until it comes home to God. So tonight, in the last portion of this message, I want to just say simply four words. Come home to God. Come home to God. This pandemic has caused many people's faith to weaken, many's flesh to rise up and think that the comforts of the world will satisfy what the comforts of the spirit used to satisfy. The famous Dr. Albert Schweitzer once said of his life, we must all be prepared to find that life tries to take from us our belief in the good and the true and our enthusiasm for them, but we need not surrender them if all of us could become what we were at 14, what a different place the world would be. Remember when you was 14? Remember when you used to run in the rain? Everything was great. Everything was wonderful. Everything was live. He went on to say that the secret of success is to go through life without getting used up by life. But the only way to do that is to have an inexhaustible supply Come home to God. Make up your mind right now in your home. Storms come to everyone, everyone. Nobody in the sound of my voice, nor the one speaking this message tonight is excluded. But oftentimes those storms reveal what is needful and what is expendable. In Acts chapter 27, when a great storm struck a ship on which the apostle Paul sailed, the sailors began throwing things overboard to lighten the load. There's a lot of stuff I have learned when trouble came that I could live without. A lot of stuff that won't matter when the storm comes. Throw away the things of your life that don't matter, but hold on to the things that do matter, like life and love and family and fellowship and church and hold on to God. Can I mention something else here? Like Hadad, Hadad, some of you have been beaten by a cruel captain in this world. You've been hurt, you've been wounded. You have fled one place out of fear. Hear the words of this pastor. Joab, the abuser, is dead. The cruel captain is gone. Solomon has come. There is a peace in the land of the spirit. The gospel of saving and enabling grace is preached now. Mercy is the mission. Please let me apologize for some of the hurt that has been done to you. Let me say I'm sorry for the non-smart things said to you, all of the hurts in the past. But let me also stand on God's word and declare a kingdom of eternal peace is being preached here. A greater than Solomon is here. The kingdom of God is being built. 
The house of God is being filled. The gospel of healing for the sick. A place of rest for the trouble. A hospital for the hurting. Hadad healed. Just say it. It didn't matter if people around him understood his longing or not. Nor does it matter if people understand what you're feeling. In Luke chapter 1, it was said of Mary, the mother of Jesus, that the holy thing in her was of the Holy Ghost. But no name was given yet to what was in her. The unborn child was of the Holy Ghost. But once she gave birth to what was in her, the name came. You may not understand the nameless longing that you're feeling here tonight listening to this message. But once it's born in your life, you will know. What is that feeling? What is that pull? What is that longing? It's Jesus yet to be named in your world. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there is no other. Jesus is the way. I read about a cat. Yeah, a cat. A four-legged feline cat. Name was Chester. He was lost out of a pickup in San Antonio, Texas many years ago. Four weeks later, he crawled to his front porch in Victoria, Texas. His fur was missing. He was sad-eyed, but he was still alive. Nothing stopped Chester from going home when he got lost. Let me just say, don't let a cat make it back to its master and you not. The light's on for you. Supper is on the table. Please come home to God. Return to your first love. Christian life, Austin opens its arms and gives you Jesus tonight. When Hadad finished speaking with Pharaoh, I conclude now from his wife's perspective, he came to me to tell me. He didn't need to tell me. I could see the light in his eyes. The nameless longing had a name. We're going home. We're going home, family. My story is through. I know where I need to be. I'm going home. What will you do with your nameless longing? You know, I've never, I've never really done this because it's kind of felt awkward. Randy's on the piano. Blake is recording. And I'm standing before an empty building. But I see all kinds of people sitting in these seats. All these beautiful seats that's been prepared. I see some gorgeous people, some beautiful people that are going to be sitting here soon because you had this nameless longing. This thing that said, I need, I need to get back. I need to go to the Father. I need to throw myself at his feet and say, Father, I'm ready to be home. Maybe you've never had a relationship with him. Maybe you've never known Jesus as your personal Savior and King. 
Maybe you've never said yes to his powerful, glorious, and graceful touch. But please understand, it's never too late to call on his name, never too late to pray. And so tonight, I'm gonna do something very unique. You that would like to pray with me this prayer, I want you to pray with me this prayer. I'm gonna pray over you right now. I want you to repeat with me. Dear Father, I love you. And Pastor Rex stirred something in my soul, in my spirit, that makes me want to call on your name. Egypt feels, but it doesn't feel fully. Egypt is all right, but it's not great. But there's this longing. There's this longing. My grandmother, perhaps, my grandfather, my family. I remember, I remember those days that I went to your house and I called on your name and you were there to help me. And God, that nameless longing is in my soul right now. And I want to go. I want to go back to your presence and back to your beautiful house. And so here we're going to pray. Lord, forgive me. Wash me of my sins. Cleanse me of my wrong. Baptize my mind with your mercy. And let me experience your grace. I'm coming home to you, Lord, tonight in my home. I'm coming home to you tonight. Here I am, Lord. Save me. I confess you as Lord of my life. I confess you as the principal figure in all that I want in my future. I profess you tonight and I surrender my will to your will. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Now, if you feel happy, if you feel content, if you feel satisfied with that prayer, I want you to clap your hands in your home and I want you to say, Lord, I thank you. Randy's going to close with this beautiful song. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. And I love you, and I'll see you Sunday. Have a blessed evening in your home. God bless you.